This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 12. We're going to finish this conversation today. While you're turning there, if you would please remember immediately following the service today, if you would hang out with me for a moment, I have one question to ask you. I need your input, and that won't take 30 seconds. I've so enjoyed this conversation of all in. It has challenged me, and God has actually, uh, I typically live my messages as I'm writing them, as the Lord's given them to me. I've lived them before. This one has been pretty amazing how I've been placed right in the middle of situations where if I deliver a sermon on Sunday, Monday morning slaps me in the face, and it's like God said, all right, now live it, son. And so it's been amazing to me how this this series has played out and God has made it so real to me personally and I do hope that in some way, shape, or form you feel the same way. Mark chapter 12, Jesus has been asked a question, which is the first commandment, which is the greatest commandment. First really isn't the proper word there because they're not looking for the, the first in numerical order. They're looking for the first as to which one would hold the most weight? If we're only going to pick one to keep up with, Lord, which one is it that we should make sure we check off the list if none of the rest of them get done? And Jesus, in all wisdom, responds back with this verse of Scripture that I've read to you over the last three weeks in verse 29. It says, Jesus answered him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And then he turns it and he twists it and he says, but the second one is like it. It's just as important. And it is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe that questioned Jesus was amazed. It says, you've said it well. We've looked at the heart, the soul, and the mind. We talked specifically that the heart would be more so the the heart of the matter, not a place of emotion, not a place where our feelings come from, but it's more so the motive behind why we do what we do. If your heart's not in it, it's pointless. We talked about the soul and we talked about our emotional self and our emotional being and how we've got to somehow or another pull our emotions in check. And every one of us are full of emotions, whether they be a person that is uh, you're vibrant and when you get mad, you let everybody under the sun know you're mad or whether you're mad and you sit down and you be quiet and nobody has a clue what's going on in your head. Either way, you're emotional. 
Whether you're a person that gets up and down and jumps up and down excited for something that good that happens, or whether you're a person that just lets a little smile slip out of your face because you're happy about it, whatever it is, there's an emotion that's tied to everything we do, right? And I told you that the only way to pull those emotions in check, to pull ourselves together, is focusing and centering on our worship. To get to a place where we pray about everything, worry about nothing, tell God what we need, and then thank Him for all He's done. When we walk in a mindset of gratefulness, we walk in a mindset of thankfulness for everything the Lord's done before I ever received the blessing. That's the interesting part of that scripture when Paul says, pray about everything, worry about nothing, tell God what you need, and thank Him for all He's done. He says that all in one clean swoop. He don't say tell God what you need, receive what you need, then thank him for what he gave you. He says pray about everything, worry about nothing, tell God what you need, and thank him for all he's done. Then will peace be put on you from the Holy Spirit that's beyond all understanding. So the way that we get peace, the way we can escape from the emotional stress, the way that we can put our emotions in check is focusing only on God. Everything else around us has to be pulled together where our focus is on the Lord. We pray about everything, worry about nothing, tell God what we need, and thank Him for all He's done. And then we talked about the mind. And I told you that you can't turn your mind off. You go to sleep at night and your mind is still racing. If you decide in the next few minutes that you don't want to listen to what I'm saying and you want to check out, you might not be thinking about me and the words that are coming out of my mouth, but you're thinking about something. And men, when you decide you want to get your nothing box out and sit and think about nothing, you're still thinking about thinking about nothing, right? You can't shut it off. So how do we get rid of the thought chatter? I told you that you've got thought chatter when you're not focused on one thing, but rather it's that time when everything kind of settles down. Maybe you're laying in the bed at night or whatever's going on, and all these, uh, these thoughts start rushing into your mind of, no, you're not good enough, or you got all these different things to do that you'll never get done. Whatever it is, the thought chatter, the way we shut the thought chatter off is, again, focusing on the Lord and bringing our thoughts, not only our emotions, but our thoughts in line to the Lord and worshiping Him and giving Him the thought life that we have. You with me? Then we get to strength. I'll just be honest with you. This was a struggle. Pastor Jonathan, I walked to the door a minute ago. He said, you ready? I said, nope. Very rarely am I ready. But to be challenged with the idea of giving God and loving God with all my strength when I have no strength is interesting to me. Jesus said, love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And we've talked about that the heart being the sincerity, the soul being our emotional being, the mind being our thought life, and strength being represented as our physical action. The physical life. To look at this properly, we have to understand that there's two different words that are used for strength. I told you that Jesus is quoting Old Testament Scripture. He's quoting a passage of Scripture out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
And this is a a passage of Scripture that the Jews quoted over and over. They quoted it all the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. The Lord is your God. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, your mind, your strength. And the word used in Deuteronomy is meod. Meod. But then there's a word that's used differently by Jesus. And that word is spelled, if you want to write it down, I-S-C-H-Y-S, but it said Izzy's. Izzy's. So we've got Meod and we've got Izzy's. And you say, why does it matter? They're two very different words. In the Old Testament, Meod was used to describe it's an adverb. If I said, Josh is looking great today, as a matter of fact, he's looking Meod handsome. He's Meod looking good. The Meod would describe the verb. If I said, man, you people gave generously today, I would say, you Meod gave generously today. And there were times in Scripture where they really wanted to get a point across, and they would say, Meod, Meod. And then when it was really intense, they would say, Meod, Meod, Meod. So, in the Shema, in Deuteronomy, the writer says, you love the Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and you're Meod. It has nothing to do with physical strength. Nothing to do with physical action. It's much more so loving him with everything that we are and everything that we do with all of us, with meod, with every ounce of us in every situation, every opportunity. And Jesus twists it just a little bit and he says, actually, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your izzies. Because izzies are dunamis, could also be there our actual power and strength, might, action. And I'll just be honest with you. I really needed the Lord to help me understand how I can love God and be all in with all of my strength when I have no strength at all. Because you know just as good as I do that there's seasons, there's times you don't have strength. And so if I take Jesus' word literal and that that's the, the number one commandment, this is the main thing, that I'm to love the Lord your God with everything that I am. I have, I'm supposed to love God with all of my heart. It's completely sincere, sold out for him. I'm to love him with all of my emotions, with all of my thoughts, and then with all of my strength. There's a lack. That means I can't even follow this commandment and love God the way Jesus said I'm to love God because I'm missing one of those components. The Bible talks a lot about our strength, a lot about our action. More so on our works. Paul told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, he said, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not by your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that one may boast. He said, you're not saved by your works, 
But then he flips right around in verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works. You can't be saved by your works. It don't matter how good our strength is. It don't matter what our actions are. We're not saved by our works, but you and I were created for works. Therefore, if our hands are not doing something, if we're not taking this physical body and somehow putting it in a place where it's serving people, putting it in a place where it's making a difference, we're not doing what we were created to do. You with me? I can love God with that strength, though. That one's not as difficult for me. And then Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus is talking. He says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it on a basket. But on a stand, it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to the Father. You've been given light in order to do good works so that they be seen and be given to the Father. Stay with me. James said it like this. He said, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you do nothing, you give that person no food or clothing. What does that do? So you see, by faith itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Then he said, remember it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So there's an emphasis, obviously, on what we do. Right? We're to love God with our actions. We have to go all in with our actions, with everything that we are in every moment, every situation, the things that we do, the way that our, our works are seen. We're to give glory to God. But that wasn't the sermon for me today. Because in order for me to love God, but all of my strength, as Jesus is describing, means I have to have strength. And there's a whole lot of times in my life I don't have strength. I have the works. I have the meode. And I'll serve till my tail falls off. I'll smile at that lady at McDonald's every time, even when I'm frustrated because they're taking forever to give me my food. I have the meode. But the Izzy's is totally different. And so I begin to pray and ask God, God, I need to understand how you give this command to love God with all of my heart, all sincerity, with all of my emotions, and all of my mind, and then my strength. My emotions and my thoughts I get. My strength is not so much. And so I thought about Joseph. Anybody know Joseph? Maybe. Joseph was the son of Jacob. Joseph's great-granddaddy was Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. Maybe we with me? Joseph was the favorite. 
The Bible says that he was the favorite son. He was favored because he was the one that was given to God to, to Jacob in his old age. Babies, you're the favorite. And he was favored, and you've heard of the coat of many colors, right? The, the coat of many colors came to Joseph because he was the favorite. Jacob wanted to give him something because he was his favorite son. And so he had a special coat made, a beautiful coat. And that was the coat that Joseph wore all the time just to represent, I'm daddy's favorite. And when he was 17 years old, he had some dreams. He told his brothers, I don't know why he told them, but he told them. He said, I had a dream last night, and I dreamed that we're out working in the field, and my grain standing up tall, and your grain bowed down to mine. When you stir up the pot, it stinks, family. Just saying. He made that one stink a little bit. And the Bible says literally they hated him. And then he had another dream. He said, I dreamed that the sun, the moon, and... Y'all bowed down to me. And he told his daddy, he said, wait. Jacob said, does that mean me and your mom? And these boys are about to bow down to you? So the brothers are out in the field. They're tending the flocks. And Jacob sends Joseph out to go check on them. And they've moved. And he says, hey, where's my brothers? He finds them. And on the way, they see him off in a distance. And they've got so much hatred for Joseph that they're like, we got to be done with Joseph. And they plot to kill him. When he's on the way to where they are, they make this decision. We're taking his life. He ain't going to be the favorite no more. Let's see them dreams come true now. And Reuben, one of the brothers, said, listen, why we got to shed blood? He must have been the smart one, or either he didn't like to get his hands dirty. He said, just take his coat, we'll rip it up, we'll kill a goat, we'll rub some blood on it, we'll take it back to daddy. Say, look, a wild animal got him, we'll throw him in a cistern, we'll throw him in a hole out in the middle of nowhere, we'll leave him there, he'll die on his own, and we don't have to really be responsible. Great plan, they took the coat, they ripped it, they killed the goat, they put the blood on it, threw him in the hole, and then comes these Midianite traders. And they said, hey... We actually can make a profit on this plan of getting rid of our brother. And so they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. This was the favorite son, remember? You with me? This is the one that got to chill at the house while the other brothers were out working in the field. And now he finds himself in a hole being sold to some traders. And so he gets sold, and the traders make it to Egypt, and they sell him to the Egyptians. And the chief officer of the king, Potiphar, buys Joseph. He says, I'm going to make you my personal attendant. And so he starts working in Potiphar's house. And what's so cool about this to me is all this started because he had visions, he had dreams from God. He was actually seeing what was going to happen, what was going to take place. Because when God gives us a glimpse of where we're headed, the enemy wants to do nothing more than destroy it, right? 
And in that moment when life has fallen apart, he's in a hole in the middle of nowhere, just been sold off to these people. Here he is, the favorite son. His great-granddaddy is Abraham, and now he's going to be a slave in Egypt. But your Bible says that when Potiphar allowed him to come into his house, that Potiphar's life began to be blessed because of Joseph. Because everything he did, everything he touched succeeded because the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. Right? He couldn't be destroyed in a hole in the ground. He, he couldn't be, his heritage didn't leave him in the hole when he was sold to the traders. It followed him throughout. So then Potiphar's wife, the Bible says Joseph was handsome. Strong, looked good. I guess Potiphar must not have been that kind of guy. Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with Joseph. Joseph, being an upright man, said, I've been given dominion over everything in this house but you, and I would never defile my master like that. You're the one thing I can't have, and this isn't going to happen. She pushed him, and she pushed him, and she pushed him. Finally, she trapped him, and she got that coat. And he took off running, and she cried out and blamed him. Look at what happened. He come in and tried to take advantage of me, and I got proof. This is his coat. He left it. So he ends up in prison. Do you realize, those of you that know this story, his divine connections took place in prison. In the place he was the weakest, in the place he had the least amount of responsibility, in the place he had the least amount of influence, in his weakest moments of his life is where he got the divine connection to his destiny. Because while in prison, he met the prison guard and the warden and they became friends and they began to sit around and talk Bible talk and dreams and visions and the chief baker, I don't really know what he did, but he made the king mad and the king threw him in prison for a little while and the baker had a dream. Joseph interprets the dream and he's just mind blown. That's the connection because the baker makes it out of prison and one day the king has a dream and the baker says, it's really interesting. If you read it, it says the baker remembered his, his bad time. He remembered the time when it wasn't good for his own life. He said, you remember you threw me in prison? See, sometimes the things we go through, the junk that life has to take us through, we have to go back and remember those because there's nuggets we pull out to change the destiny of somebody else's life. I can tell you my story, and I can go back to my story and my times, my low points. I can go back and pull something out in almost every conversation I have with somebody else and plug something into their life to make a difference. The baker in his low point, he's in prison. He said, you remember that time that I burnt the bread and you put me in prison? There was this guy in there, and he interpreted a dream for me, and I think that you should pull him out and talk to him. Joseph, and Joseph interprets the king's dream. And the king is mind blown. 
He said, is there any other man like Joseph? Is there any other man that's so full of the Spirit of God? And that king placed Joseph over everything he had. Through every stumbling block, through every weakness, through every low point, through every valley, when Joseph came back up, he hit a new peak. He started here. He had a vision. His brothers hated him. He went down. He climbed back up. They put him in the hole. Man, this is terrible. He made it out of that. Sold into slavery. He made it to Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife wanted to take advantage. Thrown into prison. Now he ended up in the king's house. The king said, I'm the only person in this entire place that's over you. And years go by. And you know the story. The famine came through. Joseph saw it in a dream. He said, listen, there's going to be starvation. There's going to be a famine. We better start storing up some grain. So Egypt was the place to buy some food. And these guys show up, these ten guys, brothers, show up one day. And Joseph, being the governor of the palace, he was the one that all the sales went through. They show up and say, hey, we need to buy some grain. And he knew who they were. And he starts questioning these guys. And through a series of events... It ended up that the very ones that put him in the hole in the ground were sitting around a table begging him for something to eat. And he tells them who he is. And there's this moment where it's just unreal. I thought about Mio's strength, opportunities. Obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Struggle after struggle. There's Joseph. But how can Jesus tell me to love the Lord with all my heart when I don't have the strength? I learned something. You can play me something soft, please. See, what I've learned is This is important. Anything God demands of us, he's already given us the source of supply to make it happen. You look at life, anything in life. God wants our worship. He gave you a voice. He wants you to be generous. He put money in your pocket. He wants you to love. When you accepted him, he is love. Therefore, love was within you to give to somebody else. And Jesus said you're to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind, your strength. He's given me emotions to pour into him. He's given me thoughts to focus, to fix on who he is. 
But in this fleshly body, in my own self, there's a whole lot of weakness. There's a whole lot of struggle. And I know that Jesus knew when he told them this. He had already given all the strength they needed. He said, no, you don't have the strength. But Paul said it like this. He said, so keep me, to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Some way, some shape, some form, you got a thorn in your flesh. You got something that keeps you from being proud. You've got something that beats you down. He said, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul says, so now I'm glad about my weakness. I, the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I don't have the strength to love God with all that I am. In my weakness, though, it's made up through his strength working through me. You with me? Isaiah said it like this. He said, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. The writer of Psalms said, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He's mine forever. Isaiah said in 41.10, don't be afraid for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you and help, and help you. I will hold you with my victorious right hand. This had to be a twofold thought process for me today. You're called to be a Joseph. You're called in every valley, every low point, every opportunity, every struggle, every moment of every day to love God, to use your physical body, your being to do something good. If you lay around in the bed all day and you sit and you don't do anything, you're going to feel horrible, right? If you get up and go find somebody to do something good for, I promise you'll feel better. Because when you love God with that strength, there's a blessing that's poured out on top of you. I can love God with my being. I can do and do and do till I ain't got no more to keep doing. But when I'm emotionally beat down, when I'm mentally beat down, and my strength, my spirit strength is extremely, extremely weak of this being, I need something to make up the difference so that I can go all in and love God the way he's called me to love him. Jesus gives this thought to the average person that it should be impossible. Because we've hit some really low points where we didn't have the strength. We didn't want to get out of the bed. The only way that we can do that is by understanding that his power is made perfect in our weakness.
So know that when I'm, I'm weak and I'm beat down, I'm struggling, it's when he has the biggest opportunity to come in and raise me up and make me strong. I saw an illustration one time that was absolutely awesome. This pulpit represents the presence of God. This is where I got to get to. My love's got to reach the presence of God. This is where I am. And in my flesh, I can only go as far as I can go. My arms are really long, but they're not long enough. Even if I manage to bend over and take a step, whatever it is, I can't reach the presence of God. I can't love him with my strength. I'm beat down. I'm tired. I'm busted up. I'm struggling. I'm weak in my spirit. I'm weak in my flesh. I'm just done. I can't reach it. Jesus, the greatest commandment can't be achieved by this guy because I'm weak. He said, you don't get to do that, my friend. Because if I commanded it out of you, I've already given you the source for it to take place. Valerie, come here for a second, please. He said, because when you accepted me and you accepted my love, in your weakness, I make strength. So in my limitation, the Holy Spirit touched my fingertips makes the difference and now through the power of God through the anointing only by me relying on his strength can I reach the presence of God only through the spirit of God can I sit in my weakness in my moment of depression in my moment of despair in my moment of heartache when everything else is failing me in my weakness the only way that I get to love him with all my strength only is because Jesus has already supplied what I needed to make it happen Otherwise, I just stand here all alone on an island. I can't even love God. How can he pour out blessings on me? Right. That makes sense. On my own, I can't. I can't achieve this. I can't go all in until I realize the power that's at my fingertips and I plug into the Spirit of God and I allow God to make the connection from me to him and there's no longer a gap. And that's how the Meod love comes together with the Ishmi's love because Joseph was full of the Spirit of God. He, he took every opportunity, every moment, every problem in the middle of the pit in the wilderness. Somehow he still come out and his destiny was made through those struggles. And I can love God with all of my strength and all of my being. I can pour all of my self into him only because I rely on the Spirit to make the difference and bridge the gap. The sermon's two sermons packed into one. Either you're letting your works be known and either you're, and by be known, I don't mean be known before man so that everybody sees what you do to give you glory. I mean your works are done because Christ gives you the ability to do your works so that God gets the glory. Either you're doing it or you're not. It's pretty cut and dry. 
Either you wake up in the morning and you think, how can I make a difference in somebody else's life? Or you wake up in the morning and you're completely consumed with you, 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 and you're worried about you. That's kind of the way it works. You need God to change your heart and you need to be a Joseph and you realize even when you're in the middle of the pit or even when you're in prison, you need to realize there's divine connections being made in every season. You're not living that life. You need to make that life. We're going to make a commitment in just a moment. But the bigger heart today is not even at that place, but the bigger heart is if you're really weak, need the connection the presence of God you're not strong enough I promise you you're not strong enough to love God the way God's calling you to love him on your own none of us the precious saints in this room are not strong enough to love God on their own Jesus gave, a, Jesus gave a command that's impossible for us to do on our own. The only way for us to do it is by relying on the Spirit to make it happen. Father, I pray that you touch our hearts today. Holy Spirit, move through the house. You've already been moving on your people, God, and I pray. But in just a moment, God, that they would understand the importance that their faith without their works is dead. Lord, if we're not living a life that's for you, we're not living a life for other people, that second part of that verse says to love your neighbor as yourself. There is nothing selfish about loving other people. It pulls selfishness out of the way and puts selflessness in everything that we do. God, I pray that you would touch your people's hearts that maybe you're not living that way today. God, but specifically I pray today for those that can't love you the way that you called them to love you because their flesh is weak and they've not tapped into the connection that you have with each one of them to the throne room, to the presence of God. that just need to know you're there, the ones that just need to know it's okay to be weak, it's okay to be, to be broken down, it's okay to be at this place where they don't get it, God, because you're going to bridge the gap, you're going to make the connection to the presence of God, and you are goodness. If you're here today, and your life has not been very selfless, you're not using this physical body God gave you to do the things that He's called you to do. You're worried about you and yours, and you're not really worried about anything else, but you're ready to step forward, and you're ready to use your strength, your might, your physical ability to do something for the Lord. Would you come and join me in this altar? You're here today, and you're weak. Your love feels so limited. You can't touch the Father because you're weak. He's in the house and He's ready to be the, the bridge that bridges the gap to give you strength.
He's ready to lift you up and strengthen you by His victorious right hand. If that's you and you're weak today, there's no shame and weakness because none of us can do it on our own. If you're weak today and you need the Lord to give you the strength to love Him the way that He's calling you to love Him, would you come and join me in this altar?